Hello and welcome to the White Shorts podcast. I'm Bella Cartman and I'll be your host for the series. Now, this podcast came about from conversations I've had with players, coaches and fans of women's football and women's sport. There is so much being discussed on a daily basis about challenges faced by female players, the improvements we would like to see in the game and how there are these amazing women quietly working away to improve our clubs and associations for the women of tomorrow. With the recent explosion in women's sports, I sought out a platform where I could learn more about these incredible women and what they're doing for women's football New Zealand. What I found should have come as no surprise, but this platform did not exist. So, the White Shorts podcast was born. This podcast aims to bring to light the work being done by these incredible women, along with highlighting some of the adversities they have faced by being involved in the game. Each week, I'll be joined by a player, coach or manager from around New Zealand for a fireside chat. We'll talk about their motivations, their journeys and crucially, what they've learned along the way. So come join us and we hope these discussions inspire ones of your own. Morning all and welcome to the third episode of the White Shorts podcast. Today we are joined by goalkeeper coach Tessa Nicole. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Oh, it's Honestly, an absolute delight to be here. I remember looking at your Instagram page when you first started it, and I thought, what, like, there is no better person to start a podcast like this than the one and only Bella Cartman. So it's my pleasure to be on with you, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. Um, everyone keeps saying this, and I'm like, I think I'm, I think I talk too much in my everyday life for this to be um for this to be a given for everyone to say that I'm good at it but yeah anyway um I mean first off I think we'll just let the listeners get to know you a bit so first off what is your first memory in football oh my goodness my first memory in football I would have been five years old and bear in mind like my family is not a sporty family by any means um uh, but my mum, however, was a very, very good netballer. And she always had it in her head that I was also going to, you know, she, to be fair to her, actually, I retract that. <laughs> she was always very like, go and do whatever it is that you want. Any sport that you want to play, go and play it. But I think mum always had her heart set on me being a netball player. <laughs> and I remember mum saying, you know, try netball. And I remember in, when I was five in primary school watching a bunch of boys playing football. And obviously when you're five and you've got year sixes playing football, it's quite daunting. Yeah. <laughs> and you're very scared. So I must have sat watch, watching these like year five and six boys playing football for must have been like a week. Like <laughs> a week. Just sitting under these trees watching them play football until obviously like they saw me and were like we need to probably bring this child over to give her like some football stuff and I went and played football came home uniform absolutely stained with mud and I never looked back like that was was way laughing after that it was brilliant mum signed me up to football played for Moleskill I was in the Moleskill midgets team um and I just loved it it's always been me Yeah, well, I mean, goalkeeping, I can see where the goalkeeping comes from then. Netball, goalkeeping's <laughs> not too far of a jump from netball, I guess. No, no, I guess not. And funnily enough, I actually never played netball officially. So, but I um, but I did figure out very quickly in my football career that I didn't have, like, the stamina to run. <laughs> <laughs> the goalkeeping, I think at, like, the age of, like, 13 or 14, 
I finally yeah. converted because I was like, oh, I want to run and score goals, but um, I just don't have the lung capacity for this. Yeah, don't want to run around for 90 minutes on a Saturday morning. That's so fair. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything worse, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, the reason I wanted to get you on this podcast is you've had quite the journey in football and definitely have quite a unique experience and perspective to bring to kind of this chat about women in football so do you want to give us a run run through with a high level low level whatever you want of your kind of career in football to date oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I can give you a rundown and you can stop me at any point if I'm (laughs) rambling I've had quite an interesting career um so I guess like I said, I started off playing in Mosgiel. So they were my first club. Um, that's where I first fell in love with football. Um, you know, going through the ranks, it was only um, for a, for quite a couple of, for a couple of years, it was only me um, and a bunch of boys playing um, playing junior football. And then I was joined by local legend Chantal Smith, and we went through the ranks at Mosgiel together. She was obviously always a lot better than I was. and um, But we still went through um, all those teams together till we got to the point where we trialled for the Otago team, which we would have been, oh my goodness, like 11th or 12th grade. So oh, wow. that was like our first sort of like, uh, you know, representative football um, to say. And we went to a tournament in Nelson with a bunch of girls and we'd never played with a team of girls before. So it was quite an interesting experience for all of us. Um, and then from there, we shifted across to what used to be Dunedin Technical is now Dunedin City Royals. And we will have played there, well, I played there until I was 17, 18. And then just decided that I needed a bit of an, a change. That was when the Royals, well, Tech was starting to get like obviously really good and, you know, are what we know them as today, which are just yeah. absolute trailblazers. And as a goalkeeper at that point, um, so I, you know, made the change around 13, 14 to play goalkeeper. I decided that um, I was going to have a little change in environment so I could get some more time on the ball. And then I migrated across to the old University of Otago and yes and oh my goodness so like me and myself and um you know again local legend Meg O'Malley like we were little first years freshmen together in that squad um and I guess from there after I guess I must have been there for about a year and a half absolutely loved it like that was such an amazing environment I then got asked to move up to Auckland to play um, in the under-20s and the, I guess, the wider squad of the Football Ferns. So I packed up what I could in my 1997 Toyota Corolla hatchback and drove from Dunedin all the way up to Auckland, um, away from my family, um, away from my friends, away from an environment that I've, you know, obviously is so familiar to me. Um and I guess I sort of became like a full-time football player and that was awesome. Um, but it was definitely really hard at points because mm. at that point in time, we weren't paid to train. Um, so I was training like three times a day. Um, I had to work on top of it. Um, obviously, you know, rent in Auckland's not cheap. 
So I had to, I had to really make ends meet like it was, it was a really tough 16 months, but um, if I had to turn around and do it all again tomorrow, like I absolutely would. Um, Mm. But also knowing what I know now, I would have probably put some things in place to have looked after myself better. Um, As well as maybe advocated for a few more things. Mm. Um, You know, like moving up to Auckland and being told that you're going to be in this amazing environment where, you know, you're training X amount of times a day and it's all professional. I was in high performance sport at the time when the football ferns were still in there and that was very, very cool. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there's some days where you're racking up to do like your squats and Sonny Bill Williams is squatting next to you. Like, it's just like, you're like, what? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> um, which was very cool. Like amazing environment, super, super professional. But I guess like what, what a lot of people didn't see was the challenges away from football. So, it, and I think like what was confusing about the whole situation is like at 19, you know, training with the football ferns, um, you think that, you know, far out, like, I'm so grateful. And of course, like, so grateful for that opportunity. Um, but I, I guess, like, I, like, you know, as you mentioned, it's the stuff that happens away from the football environment that I guess was really tough because there wasn't, you know, I had some support, like, I have to be, I have to say, like, the medical side of it, like, having access to the doctors, the gym, um, you know, there were other resources that high performance sport um, offered, but it was the, it was away from football that I really struggled with hmm. um, because I was away from my family and my friends um, yeah. and my partner at the time. And like, it was really mentally taxing because you're going through these really tough trainings as they should be at that level. And I loved them. But also at the same time, I like I said to you, like I also dreaded them too because you just didn't know what to expect. Um, and I guess already having like, I guess some um, some pre sort of mental health stuff as well coming up to move to Auckland, trying to manage my own mental health um, and my health and well-being in general. And then also um, you don't obviously want to, <laughs> how to put this, you don't want to take too much time away from football hmm. um, at that level because you don't, um, it's like the, like the people coming through change so quickly, like the order of the ranking saint changed so quick. So I was also under pressure to go, I need to stay in Auckland. I can't go home because if I go home, I risk losing my spot or I risk falling down the ranks. Um, and of course, you know, building towards an under twenties world cup, like in my head, I didn't move for nothing. Like I wanted to go to that world cup and, you know, in my head, I was like, yeah, I want to start, you know, I want to make the whole, you know, the move and everything, you know, worthwhile and to say that, you know, I've played at a world cup and all those things. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you committed to it, but also do you wonder, cause you mentioned just before that, you know, you were just so grateful to be there in the first place. Like it was this amazing opportunity mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm just grateful to be at this training camp full stop do you think that plays into some other women's mentalities like at that level? Maybe not so much anymore, but when you were going through that phase that you're just so grateful to be there in the first place and like women just feel so grateful to have these opportunities that they don't feel like they can ask for that extra. And do you think that's changing <laughs> or has it changed or do we still have more to go? We definitely still have more to go. 
But I do have to say, I think in general, and this is outside of sport too, I think women are starting to realise their worth Mm. and we're starting to realise what we do contribute to society and what, um, I guess everybody's obviously different, but I think we're starting to realise what our bare minimum is, especially as sportswomen, um, with access to, (laughs) I guess, better facilities, better coaching, better resources away from football. Um, It is making us better athletes. And it's really cool to have um, exposure now in the country in terms of what high-performance sport looks like on a daily basis that's run well. I mean, like, look at the Wellington Phoenix, for example. Like, that is the kind of setup that is needed. And, I mean, that's what's replicated overseas and has been for so long now. Um, and it's great that we finally got that opportunity. Um, it's still it's still at the foundational stage. Um, I'm not saying that it's perfect by any means. However, it's a damn sight better than what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And it is super cool to see these young girls coming through, getting these opportunities that are more holistic and well-balanced, that support them as human beings mm. and see them more as just players. And I'm not saying that that may be the case, case for every single player out there. Um, but like I said, it's definitely getting to a much better point where we're working towards that, which is great. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, interesting that you mentioned like it might not be like that for every single player, but there is now that visibility on social media or traditional media TV broadcast of what other women are getting at that level. And so it does create this expectation that women should get more, even if currently they aren't. People now have that awareness of what others are getting which is just so important for like the progression of not only women's football but women's sport in general and maybe some of those lesser known sports that are still just building a foundation as a sport full stop in New Zealand do you think? Oh absolutely and I think you know having the Women's World Cup coming to New Zealand gives us um, gives us an opportunity to highlight what we can offer um, you know, we often talk about players going overseas to get these environments. Um, and, you know, I guess it's up for the individual to decide whether or not that, like, dilutes or it strengthens the pool of football here. Mm. But I think in terms of having these facilities here and we're able to put them on display for the world, um, you know, hopefully in hindsight is going to help to grow and create awareness that the women's game is growing here and it's growing here in New Zealand. And like you say, it's not just football, but I mean, rugby's now growing as well. Cricket's becoming more professional after having, you know, obviously a world cup here too. Um, And I think that more sports will follow suit as well. Yeah, no, for sure. And we're definitely going to touch on the world cup a bit later on, I reckon. Because, yeah, as you say, just such a, yeah, so exciting and just such an amazing opportunity. <laughs> um, but I want to, because you have a very unique perspective. So obviously you've mentioned that you've played for at that under 20 New Zealand level, but you're also coaching at that New Zealand level. So <laughs> you're coaching the under 17s last year, I believe. And then this year you were part of the under-20s camp a couple of months ago. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, my gosh, man. Like, it's been a really wild journey Um, in terms of, like, my football career. It's, like, if you said to me, you know, 10 years ago that 
I, at 27 years old, would be coaching and not playing, I would have said you were absolutely, like, batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> football playing um, is all I've ever wanted to do. Um, but when I... <laughs> So, you know, sad story, whatever. Um, it happens. I, two months before the Under-20s World Cup, um, did my ankle in. Hmm. Um, and I still was really lucky enough to still go to that Under-20s World Cup, but I didn't play um, because I was injured and a couple other things. And after that, things kind of started to go downhill. <laughs> so I moved back to Dunedin played a season for men's down here that didn't go the way I was expecting it to um mm. mentally just wasn't in a very good place um like really struggling to love football at this point so I just felt like um I had been sort of robbed mm. um and looking back I wish that I had had a different attitude to how I had approached my injuries because I think that um how you deal with adversity says a lot about your character and I don't think I dealt with it in the way that is true to who I am and who actually like and who actually I am as the person do you think I mean yeah and you say in retrospect you could have dealt with it better but in the moment do you think it was like an age factor or do you think it was like you just didn't have the support and kind of the role models to look up to to see how to deal with it in a in in the correct if you will way I, so when I moved back after um, after the Under-20s World Cup and had my surgery on my ankle and moved home and, you know, got I got the job at Football South and that was really cool to know that there was a career outside of playing football. We can get to that a little bit later. That was amazing. I loved that. But just touching on that too, hmm. it's great now that there are more holistic things offered to football players, especially those that are in like obviously the Phoenix Academy and the Phoenix in general and the Ferns and that are in professional environments, that there are emphasis, that there's an emphasis on making sure that you've got things outside of football, whether that's study or a career pathway or it's doing something else. Um, I think that has been a really positive change and a really positive shift. Um, and I wish that that was something that maybe like I had had when all that was going on because I felt like it was very like all or nothing, yeah. Um, at that for me, so I think to see that changing now, oh, I'm so happy, I'm so stoked because it's such an awful place to be when you feel like you know, when I guess you put like me, you put all your eggs in one basket, I could do with everything in my life, (laughs) (laughs) you know when something doesn't work out like you are you're back to square one immediately Hmm. um and I just wish that I had had someone to tell me when I was younger that you know yes football is important to you but it's not do or die it is not the be all and end all like you are good at other things and you are passionate about other things yeah well and that's Um, what's that's what's so exciting about having more women and whether it's coaching whether it's football management whether it's football or sports advertising like all of these other careers that you can still wholeheartedly base yourself in the football environment, but not necessarily as a player. Like it's so amazing to see these women gaining more visibility, whether it be on social media or just through word of mouth or on television, like it's showing that there are these opportunities for those women who, yeah, either have an injury or don't want to play, but still want to be involved in the environment. And it's so important, as you say, 
even if you are players to have those other options and being able to see that yeah it's not the be all and end all and I think um like you touched on it like coaching such a becoming a much more prominent um I want to say career pathway I do want to say career pathway because it is a career pathway now yeah um and you know it's been something that I've been very very fortunate um to have fallen into because I've been able to be I guess still in an environment that I've been very passionate about and I love um but I no longer have um have to worry about the anxiety of playing or Mm. you know mucking things up like I can be in a role where I can support and help like Mm. you know other girls through that and I get to I, I have to say I have a lot more joy in coaching than what I ever did playing yeah. Um. I, I don't know about you, but I was a very, very anxious person when it came to football. Like I built football up so much in my head um, that when it came to playing that I would often make mistakes in games that I wouldn't make in trainings because of the mm. pressure. Like, dude, I remember, um, I remember like it got so bad when I was in Auckland that I was like having like panic attacks and stuff in the bathroom before games and like, was just an absolute mess and if I made mistakes like yes I know people fester on them but let me tell you when I made mistakes in games I used to just eat me from like the inside out because I guess again I put all my eggs in one basket and yeah and I guess from there um I was stuck I didn't have any release and I was, I would go home after games and I'd just fester. I'd fester and I'd be so in my head until I had the next opportunity to prove myself. But then I was just constantly caught in this loop of like, okay, I've got an opportunity to prove myself, but then if I make another mistake, it's going to be another black mark and I've given up everything to come and do football. And like, honest to God, I made it so much bigger on my head than probably what it was, but I just spiraled. I spiraled and like I said before moving up already had like pre-existing mental health stuff and like when I felt like football was the be all and end all um it genuinely became that for me and I guess like the point like coming back into coaching is that because I've had these experiences and they've been really yucky um and some of the coaching I've had has been amazing and other aspects of coaching haven't been great I wanted to try and make a difference for the next players coming through Mm. um and again I take so much more pride and so much more joy in coaching and helping other people than what I ever did playing um because having the experience of the experience that I've had um I feel like I can contribute back to football um in a better way than what I ever could ever playing. Mm. Um, playing was just a gateway, I think, for, for, for me moving forward. Um, so I'm grateful for the playing. I'm not grateful for some of the experiences, but they've certainly helped me grow as a person and hopefully to help other people too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the basis for having you on this podcast is having that unique perspective of being a player how are you using those experiences and going through those experiences to now help those younger girls coming up through the under 17s the under 20s 
who are most likely going through exactly the same thing, if not something extremely similar. So yeah, how are you using your experiences to now influence how you coach at this higher professional level? I guess for me, and it's, I'll be the first person to admit, right, that coaching for me is something that I'm still very much on the beginning part of my journey with coaching. So in terms of actually delivering sessions and going out and doing the football stuff, I can do it. Um, It is still something that I'm learning how to do. Um, But of course, we all know that coaching and teaching and you know, it's it's always on a continuum of you should be always learning and challenging yourself. Mm. What what I do, what I do hope that I do bring that is a little bit different to maybe what some other coaches offer is more of that holistic perspective. And while I'm still learning how to coach and how to be a really good coach, something that I guess I've got from playing is, you know, understanding that it is so much more than just football Mm. um so those conversations away from the pitch and this is in all environments by the way like it's not just it's not just at age groups level it's it's all the way down to like community as well being able to have those conversations and be vulnerable with the players that you're working with I think is quite a powerful tool because you're able to sit and listen and you're able to sit and listen, but you're also able to sit with them and understand their journey and what they've had to, you know, what they've had to sacrifice. And again, it's not just at the top level. You think of yourself, Bella, like moving down to Dunedin to somewhere that wasn't familiar to you and looking for that place of belonging. It happens everywhere. And I think Lena actually mentioned that as well. Um, on her first on the first podcast you did with her it's about finding things away from football that you can connect with with these players because it is I so believe it is only then that you can get the most out of them yeah it's easy to go on go and do football that's what we've all got in common right like we want to get out there and we want to you know I guess in my instance I want to pick balls out of the top corner rather than put them in the top corner right that's the easy part the hard part is sitting there as a coach, play coach to player relationship, and actually sit and be vulnerable with them and listen to them and create a safe space. Yeah. Um. And I think that that's probably what I can offer with the experiences that I've had. And I just only like all you can kind of hope for in that instance is that you can be someone that they can ha- that they know is in the corner and yeah. that has their back on stuff and that just reminding them that football is not do or die and it is not everything and that they are so much more than just footballers like they are wonderful human beings yeah. and they offer so much more than just kicking a round ball into a rectangle because <laughs> that's all it is at the end of the day yeah. it's either that or keeping it out of the rectangle like that is all it is yeah well and I guess picking up on that do you think there's also a way that or maybe a missed opportunity in promoting football in general is that for so long we've tried to promote it as football rather than as these amazing women doing something like for example with the phoenix women's team like the first professional women's team in new zealand like yes it's the first professional football team for women and they are football players but they're also these 
amazing girls who have these amazing stories that have brought them to the Phoenix team. Like Grace Wisniewski, for example, in her mm-hmm. first season coming out with her mental health challenges. And that must have been a terrifying experience for her to put that out into the world. But now she's come back, she's come back into the team and she's absolutely smashing it. But as you say, like all these girls are so much more than what they can do on the field. And do you think that's almost a missed opportunity in promoting football? Like we can promote it as something more than just, as you say, either putting the ball into the top of the net or keeping it out of the net? Yeah. Oh, I like I think you've hit the hit the nail on the head there. And like I think in regards to Grace as well, like just want to say like that I can't even begin to imagine how terrifying that must have been. Because again, we go back, like for so many people in so many different countries, like football was the be all and end all. Like I mean, like you've only got to look over at the UK um and look at what happens over there when games are won and games are lost. Like it is, you know, and same with like the All Blacks as well, like in our country. Yeah. Same with games won, games lost. Like, I mean, it's the talk for weeks. And I think that that's just, I think that that's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's great we've got passionate fans and it's great that we've got um, people that are invested in rugby. But again, I think I totally agree with you. There's so many other holistic things that I think that, we could be taking advantage of around sport um particularly and i think particularly in the women's game because it is so we are behind where the men are um and again you've you highlighted it in your podcast with jess around like obviously the history of women's football Mm. and i think taking that into account we actually have got an advantage in the women's space because we have got the opportunity to create it how we want it to be Exactly, And we've got an opportunity to rewrite history. It does not have to follow in the steps of the men's game. Yeah. Because as we all know, it's not always, I guess, the best environment. I mean, you only have to look at, you know, the Spurs versus Newcastle game that happened. Like, look at all of the look at all of the social media that's been going on around that like you know to the point where fans are getting refunds from the club like I mean it's a game that runs for 90 minutes plus or minus <laughs> and like you know ball goes yeah. into rectangle ball kept out of rectangle um you know I just it absolutely blows my mind that and I can you know I guess I can relate to this to some degree which is why I can laugh about it like you know, football for so many people is do or die. It's their livelihood. They invest every waking moment into it. And I guess like I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. I understand. And also at the same time, how ridiculous. Yeah. So Ooh. like, let's rewrite it, right? Like let's yeah. rewrite it for these young girls coming through because it doesn't have to be how it's always been. Yeah. And it's so, oh my God, it makes me so excited to hear you say that because I think that is our biggest opportunity in how we progress women's sport like we're in this development phase right now where you know and we mentioned it with Jess I think um the Euro England winning the Euros like that was such a game changer in terms of women's football and women's sport like that grabbed the world's world's attention and it was a paradigm shift and like I don't know if you felt it but I definitely felt it when that happened like I was like this this is a moment where the game has changed like this is something you can pinpoint as a 
as an absolute game changer for the women's game. But it's so exciting to hear you say that because it is. We can rewrite women's football to be whatever we want, but it requires so much buy-in from so many people. And there's, I think, so many people missing that key key point is that it doesn't have to be done in the same way as the men's. You can advertise it however you want. You can promote it however you want. You can paint these girls in whatever light. And like we have that choice as women in sport and as people people in those positions of power we have that choice to get it to do it but it's about recognizing that ability and I know it's yeah and it, like it's starting I think it's starting to come into people's minds I think like there is I'm starting to see it trickle through like social media but it's just so exciting to hear you say it and phrase it in that way because I think that's such a key aspect of how we move forward with women's sport Absolutely. And I think um, someone that I want to mention that I think is doing an amazing job, like away from the football side of things, like Izzy Coombs is yes. um, been in around our under 17s and under 20s environment. Obviously, she's an amazing, you know, in her past life of a footballer, it was just phenomenal. Um, and now has gone on to be an amazing triathlete. But she's done some wicked research away from the pitch about the menstrual cycle and about redis. Um, I highly encourage you to go and look up um, Izzy Combs' coaching page if you can. Um, she's got some incredible information on about that and on about menstrual, menstrual cycle and about how to fuel your body correctly. And all of those things, yes, while they're related to football, they're actually, but they also go back to just making better people. You know, it's people like Izzy that are creating new pathways and I guess, you know, keeping it football specific because that is obviously who she's working with. Hmm. But in actual fact, it's just about like looking after these these young women and making sure that they know how to look after themselves properly and fueling them for life, you know? I mean, talking about your coaching experience and bringing in, I mean, you mentioned Izzy Coombs as well, but you know, becoming a coach takes so much time and just being a coach as well. Like I think not many people realize how much time it takes to coach, even at the community level, like you've got two trainings a week. Oh, yeah. and you're one to two hours planning for a one and a half hour session. And then you've yeah. got to plan <laughs> and pay attention for the whole game on the weekend. And then you've got to deconstruct it and figure out where the learnings are. And then, you know, it's, it's a huge commitment and then getting your licenses as well is, again, another massive time commitment, money commitment. What challenges have you faced in getting those licenses? And have you figured out a way, have you cracked the code on how to make it easier? Or if not, do you have any ideas on how it could be made easier for some of these women? Because if you're working full-time, which you have to, and yeah. then you have to find the money to sometimes pay for these licenses if you aren't able to get sponsored for it, like... How do you go about it? Because it, it seems like such an impossible task, even just doing the research in the first place. I'm like nodding along with you at the moment because everything that you've just said is just so correct. And shout out to community coaches because, oh my gosh, you are doing the Lord's work. Yep. It is so tough. Mm-hmm. You do it for little to no thanks, yep. no pay, a lot of the time for those courses, as you know, Bella, you have to take time off work, time off study. It's yeah. out of your own pocket if you are unfortunate enough to be with a club that can't support you financially. Yeah. Um, 
um if I had cracked the code, I reckon I'd be giving TED Talks all over the world and I would probably be like a millionaire. Yeah. So in short, I haven't cracked the code myself, but I think it comes back to um, recognising, A, that there's, again, opportunities away from playing. And again, like if you have a negative experience or you don't feel supported, um, it's the same with the playing environment, it's the same with the work environment, it's the same with the study environment. If you're not feeling supported in that role, mm. you're not going to want to continue it, right? Yeah. Um, so I think with coaching, it's about, first and foremost, if it's something you want to do, find an environment where you feel um, empowered. Find an environment that you're surrounded by people that are going to support you to grow. Um, I think the 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 times that I've coached, so I've done like a little bit of coaching for goalkeeping and obviously some coaching for outfield. And I have to say what made those experiences either really good ones or not so good ones was about the people that I was surrounded by in terms of like mentorship. Although talking about mentors and talking about, you know, getting more women in these visible positions and leadership positions, you are a coach educator for the sea license, I believe. And now for some people who that sounds like complete jargon, um, the sea license is the first professional license that you can get under the Oceania NZ football. So Oceania Confederation and then New Zealand football. And so it's kind of the first rung on the ladder to becoming a professional coach. Now, Tessa is a coach ed- educator, which means you are giving these courses. I think it's a six day practical course. And then there's theory but you're an educator on this course. Like that's amazing. Cause I know when I did the C license, there were no, there were no female educators and it was startling obvious, but yeah, to have you there, like you're definitely, you talking about all these other mentors, dude, you are now the mentor. Oh gosh, don't say that. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, re- it's a really, um, it's a really interesting one to talk about because I am so grateful to be a coach educator. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic opportunity. And just so we're really clear that that's not the outfield. That's the, that's the goal. <laughs> um, you wouldn't catch me dead educating on a, on an outfield course, but the goalkeeping one's a bit different. And I think, um, I think from my perspective, I'm very grateful to be on that course because that for me immediately surrounds myself with like-minded people. Mm. Um, you know, I work a lot with Jimmy Bannantyne, um and Chris Marsh and there's, um, there's a few other people that I've obviously met along um, the way as well. Um, Ryan Ego, who's the Phoenix women's goalkeeper coach, he's been an absolutely fantastic mentor to me um, and super grateful for him as well. You know, I get to be surrounded by those people on a more regular basis because I take the coach facilitator opportunity. Now, yeah. whether or not in my head I think that I'm ready for that opportunity is irrelevant. Um, but what that gives me the chance to do is surround myself with, like I say, like-minded people. I also, as well as, um, being considered a facilitator, I learn so much from being on those courses and helping. Um, I learn so much from the candidates. Every time I've done the course, I've learned something new from other people. I've got different ideas myself. Um, so just because I'm classed as a facilitator does not mean that my learning has stopped. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's actually enhanced my learning because I've been given opportunities to have more frequent conversations with, um, some pretty wonderful people. So, and I think 
what I want to highlight with what I'm trying to say is when you get opportunities that you feel like you don't feel you're ready for, and this is, goes back to coaching in the under 17s and the under 20s as well, take them. Yeah. Because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to realize that you're not ready for it or someone's going to realize that you're not ready for it. And I mean, so what? Who cares? It doesn't mean that you're not going to be ready for it in another year or two. And it's a learning. Um, like you're oh, from, absolutely. From- absolutely. It's such a massive learning. And like I said, like I probably learned more from being a uh, quote unquote coach facilitator than what I ever have as a candidate on a course. And that's because I get to be around people that know more than me, know like buckets load more than me. And I get to have more regular frequent conversations with them about it. Um, so I think like, you know, when you get opportunities to coach, when you get opportunities to talk on podcasts, opportunities to talk in workshops or um, have meetings for, a, or, do you know what? Relating it back to everyday life, going for a job that you don't feel like you've got the qualifications for. If yep. it's something you love and it's something you want to do, just bloody go and do it because that is how you get opportunities and that is how you figure out very quickly if it's something you want to do or not. Yeah. Um, that's probably my biggest advice um, because that can be applied to any any point in life, at any stage of life. Um, that's that's probably been my biggest learning coming away from playing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the way you've spoken this whole this whole discussion and this whole chat is just so encouraging that there's someone like you at this high level imparting this wisdom and having (laughs) having this outlook on coaching and how coaching and how football players should conduct themselves and view the game and view the environment like it's so encouraging to see and know that there are people like you on the inside trying to move the sport forward in this way um but talking outside of the professional environment people might have a chance to engage with that on a more community level because you are thinking about starting up maybe a little local coaching business I believe do you want to tell us a bit about that a shameless plug if you will I was just about to say my goodness me you have just like made me slip and slide into an awful shameless plug but this is fine because I didn't instigate it you did so I don't (laughs) feel so bad you deserve the Um, shameless plug man you deserve it I Look, to be honest, so I'm in my last year of study. Absolutely love the course. Again, I never thought that I would go and study. Always thought I'd be a pro footballer. Um, Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, Two knee operations and an ankle operation later. (laughs) I am now studying, loving it. And I think what I've really enjoyed is that the Polytech have been really open to recognising that football is a big part of what I do, Mm. Um, regardless whether that's been playing or not. So for my last year, I have been able to undertake some um, research in like the goalkeeping space here locally, nationally, and then also just like having a little bit of a look as to what's happening internationally too. And from there, I am looking at different ways that I could engage the community in Dunedin around goalkeeping development. Um and to be honest, there's a lot. There's a lot that could be done because there's not, not from what I can see, a lot happening. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, obviously good and not good because it means that we've got, again, a clean slate opportunity to do, the like to develop goalkeepers holistically and to do it right. Yeah. 
Um, but it also means that there isn't a lot of resources or, I guess, support in that space. So hopefully the outcome of this year will be I can start my own business and hopefully support clubs and players um, to develop their goalkeepers, which would be absolutely fantastic. Um, it's going to help me grow and develop as a lot as a coach. Um, I'm hoping to keep um, whatever it is that I choose to do open to all communities. So I could be coaching, you know, adults that have never had any goalkeeper coaching before, right through to obviously, um, you know, premier women's keepers and ones that are looking to push on to do age group stuff. Um, it might be like under nines and under twelves. Like there's there's a whole bunch of things that I'm looking at doing, but I'm keeping my options open. I'm speaking to clubs at the moment around what they think that they might need and what support they might need. And then hopefully next year um, I can look at starting my own business and doing what I love full time. Um, and I think it's about, for me, not being, not being like ashamed that I've recognized that this is actually um, a gap in the market or it's a gap in the community because I know like, my morals and values are I want to help the community as much as I can. But at the same time, if I can make a living through what I love and what I'm passionate about, um, what a great opportunity to. So I can kind of hit two birds with one stone. So I'm just trying to figure out what the best way to do, like how to do that is um, so that the community can access me. I'm trying to look at getting funding and sponsorship so that everybody can come and participate or anyone can come and participate. Um, so if anybody knows of any sponsorship, um, <laughs> McDonald's hit me up. Um, yeah, I'm um, I'm pretty open to just sort of trialing and erring a whole bunch of stuff this year to see what works so that when I step out of hopefully graduating this year, I can just walk straight in and, and um, start doing um, more goalkeeping because that's ultimately what I want to do. Um, and I'm not doing enough of that with trying to balance out studying and coaching. So, yeah, next year, 2024, we're all go for um, for goalkeeping. Yahoo! Woo! Yeah, well, I mean, for the listeners, you know, I've got my hands in the air because it's just <laughs> an exciting opportunity for you. And, I mean, I think this whole discussion has showed really what an amazing asset you will be to the community and to goalkeepers not only in Dunedin but around New Zealand because you bring this holistic perspective to the game and to the training and yeah I just think you know yeah if anyone wants to sponsor it go ahead because this is going to be an amazing resource and I'm just so excited for you to pursue it and see where it goes because yeah this discussion has showed that you are you know one of a kind and truly an asset to New Zealand football so yeah I'm so excited for you congratulations Bella you are so sweet and I think um what you're doing is fantastic like I think the more awareness about um different areas of football um that you can broadcast and show New Zealand um the better because there is so much more to football than what is just shown in the media and what you just hear about and if we can get um some more amazing people to talk about what they're doing and to share what they're doing and like you know positives and learnings as well I think it's going to go a long way to helping to start conversations that maybe we haven't had an opportunity to talk about because there hasn't been the platform. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess for me, like, and a lot of coaches and a lot of people working in football at the end of the day, the reason why we do what we do is because we want to give back to the community because somewhere along the way, we've had some amazing people 
that have helped shape us and have believed in us and have backed what we are doing, whether that's been playing or otherwise. And I think it's been really lovely to um, be in a position to be able to give back and hopefully, um, you know, our generation coming through can be the start of change because I think, like I said, what you're doing is fantastic and we need to be talking and broadcasting more and uplifting uplifting our brothers and sisters and making sure that they are doing what we need to do so we can make football a better place and a better environment for everybody. Yeah, no, and you've hit the nail on the head there and I think, you know, on that beautiful sentiment we'll call in the podcast there thank you so much for coming on Tessa this has just been just one of the greatest conversations I've had about football and yeah I appreciate your time I appreciate your, <laughs> the you know the stories you've given and the experiences that you've brought to this so thank you very much for coming on um yeah truly appreciate it thanks Bella cheers mate um thank you to the listeners for tuning in for the third episode i hope you enjoyed it and tune in again next week for mystery guest number four cheers